Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Bob Cochran, a longtime member here at ABF. I think I know most most everyone here. I uh, just earlier in the summer got back from a, what's a relatively unusual um, missions trip. I guess we're all used to short-term missions trips. Uh, most of them uh, involve evangelistic uh, missions or medical missions, sometimes going someplace to uh, maybe build, build homes. Well, I went on a, went on a legal mission. Um, I'm a law professor at uh, Pepperdine Law School, the director of the Newt Bar Institute on Law, Religion, and Ethics. A lot of the work that we've done over the last five years uh, since we started it has been at a kind of a theoretical level, we'll do, do conferences, but uh, in recent years um, we've started to send students uh, around the world to work with groups like International Justice Mission and um, to get involved in what uh, is, I think, I think really God's call for us to be concerned about justice-related issues in addition to, uh, to other types of issues. On this particular trip, we um, partnered with Saddleback Church. Many of you are familiar with it uh, down in Orange County. Uh, Rick Warren's the pastor. They have a justice task force. It's made up of lawyers from uh, from their church, and that church has kind of adopted Rwanda. Um, and um, as many of you know, Rwanda has gone through just an awful uh, genocide back in '94. Uh, they were uh, divided between two tribes, the Hutus and the Tutsis, and that genocide, a million people were killed, slaughtered. Uh, I'll show some slides and uh, talk a bit, little bit about that as we go on. But it just devastated the country. And the country um, had a lot of challenges challenges uh, anyway. Um, it's, uh, it's landlocked. It's a quite poor country. Um, Saddleback Church has o had over 10,000 member visits to the uh, country of Rwanda. Um, individuals at their own expense going there for one thing or, uh, or another. Um, our, within our group there was a, a lawyer's task force. There was also that's, uh, I don't know why that's up, but anyway, that's, that's Randy Travis and us. Um, anyway, I'll get this set up uh, in, in a minute. Um, where was I? <laughs> yeah, Randy Travis wasn't in Rwanda with us. So, but anyway, we, we, we were the law, lawyers group, but within our group there were also counselors, there were firemen, uh, there were police um, officers, um, and everybody was training different segments of uh, the population in Rwanda to address the kinds of issues that, uh, that they had. Our particular task, and I'll get into it in a little bit, was to <laughs> Our particular task was to um, deal with um, what's called property grabbing um, widows um, in Rwanda under um, tribal custom have no rights to property and so when a husband dies they would get pushed off of the property and uh, um, there and his family would take over that that's actually against the law 
in Rwanda, and we um, focused on biblical, both biblical teaching and on teaching about the law to pastors. Um, there are really two purposes. One, it seems to it seemed to us, was discipleship to have the church. Um, address these issues within their own congregations. Uh, the other was um, cultural change, cultural transformation. The um, I think the the scriptures call us to be concerned with uh, with justice as well as other aspects of society and culture. Here's just some of the scriptural background for the work that we did, um, being concerned particularly with uh, with widows and uh, and and orphans in our work. Um, Deuteronomy: Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien, the fatherless, or the widow. Exodus, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do, they cry out to me. I will certainly bear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Malachi, a swift witness against those who oppress the widow and the orphan. And then in James 1.27, Religion is pure and undefiled before God the Father as this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And finally, sort of a central verse for those of us on the justice mission. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. So seek justice was kind of our our uh, our rally cry. Our um, our original plan had been to uh, fly to Chicago, and then to Belgium, and then down to Rwanda, which is the best way to get to Rwanda. Who can guess whether that is Chicago or Belgium? That could That's be good. the south side of Chicago, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> This is actually Dubai, which is two time zones past Rwanda. Um, we got stopped in uh, Chicago. Um, they rerouted us through Washington, D.C., and then to Dubai, which is, as I say, two time zones past Rwanda, then back to Kenya, and then down. <laughs> what was to be a 24-hour trip there became a 72-hour trip there. And it was interesting. I, Denise and I were Skyping. I was sitting in one of those chairs, and all these guys in turbans and flowing gowns would go by. They're all looking to see what Denise looks like. <laughs> and she was looking to see what they would look like. This is also the airport there. I mean, it's more like a theme park. Uh, this is our group, as I say, fire, firemen. We've got a, on the right a couple of Pepperdine students, um, but people involved in a lot of different things um, at the church. Uh, as I say, from Kenya, we, got down, we flew down to Rwanda. And we, uh, we really drew close to one another, as you can imagine, traveling 72 hours together. You can either be at each other's throats or you can grow really close. And here we look pretty happy. This is about 60 hours into, <laughs> into the trip. We're doing pretty well, eh? Um, this is the flight uh, coming into uh, Rwanda. Rwanda is an absolutely gorgeous country. This is what the whole country looks like in the countryside. It's, uh, it's rolling hills, it's lush. Welcome to Rwanda. 
Um, what we did was to meet with pastors and we would teach them. This is very typical of the dress of the, of the pastors during our meetings uh, in Rwanda. The official language is now English. It, it was French prior to the genocide. Maybe I'll explain a little bit of that later on. But the French were thrown out as having contributed to the genocide and uh, Rwanda then linked itself with the English-speaking African countries. But only about 10% of the population spoke French anyway. Um, and now all the schools teach English, but the common language is uh, Kenyan Rwandan. Um, and there you can see some women pastors. Um, and that's very typical of their beautiful, beautiful dress. Again, our concern was with um, um, addressing a couple of issues, addressing um, both property grabbing and domestic violence. These are actually pictures of of kids that uh, some of the other groups talked with, some of the counseling groups, but they're just such wonderful pictures of kids. And they uh, they remind me of the domestic violence aspect of our of our teaching. Uh, domestic violence is very common in Rwanda. It's uh, a taboo subject. It's not uh, discussed. Probably most of it is directed husbands versus uh, wives, but uh, but children as well. And uh, so many of these were just such wonderful pictures of the kids that uh, um, that uh, that. We included them as well. For each of the topics that, uh, that we're addressing, domestic violence and the property grabbing, we've developed uh, manuals for the pastors. Um, we have them both in English um, and in Kenyan, uh, Kenyan Rwandan. Uh, they've been developed over the course of a couple years, a lot of our students being involved in developing them. And they're sort of unusual books, or they would be seen as unusual within the United States because they've got sections that are scripture followed by sections which are law, and sort of we tend to keep those two separate. But one of the um, things that I, that I focused on was, um, in my teaching, was the importance of, of the law. Over there, because the Hutu leaders, the Hutu president, the Hutu um, um, regional leaders were very much involved in uh, um, sparking the genocide. There's great distrust of law. And uh, the, um, so part of, what, uh, part of what I said was, you know, that the Christian church needs to critique the law. They need to be willing to challenge the government if they order a genocide or something like that. But also um, that uh, in addition to the scriptural teaching about property grabbing and domestic violence, um, that looking to, um, looking to the law, um, particularly when it's consistent with, with scriptural teaching, is uh, appropriate. This was one of the counselors that was over there. He talked to kids about, uh, about drug use. They would have uh, meetings where they'd pull street kids in and uh, give testimonies. Um, a lot of them came to Christ.
This is one of the teaching sessions. Um, I'm uh, working through a translator. They, uh, maybe 10% of the pastors spoke English, and we would occasionally use some of them as translators. Uh, but uh, um, more often, we, within the large groups, we would have... Um, Maybe a student from the United States, a, Ken, a uh, Kenyan, a um, Rwandan student who was studying in the United States um, serve as a translator. This is a young man who's actually a Cal Baptist now who's a Rwandan. Here's the baptismal of this particular um, church where we, where we uh, taught. Um, beautiful setting. Um, some churches were um, Baptist, some were Presbyterian. More kids. The, um, this, this presentation, this set of slides, by the way, is um, all just uh, in the order in which they were shot. It's, uh, it's not ordered around my theme um, to today, but I've structured my, my talk around that. Here's a, a fairly typical street scene in an urban area. As you can see, a lot going on. Beautiful dresses uh, by the women. And, uh, and generally, um, you know, men, men dress up. This is quite a story and was quite an experience. This is a, uh, the genocide took place in 94. In 1992, there had also been another genocide. Actually, there, there were genocides that went, uh, that took place from 59. The first went up until 94. This was a Catholic church, and in the genocide in 1992, a lot of the Tutsis, which are 10% of the population and had been the wealthier tribe, um, crowded into the, the Catholic churches. And in this particular case, um, a, a Catholic nun um, stood up for them, said that this was a place of sanctuary, and they were... Uh, protected in 92. Uh, word, of course, got around about that. In, in 94, 11,000 people crammed into this Catholic church. Um, it seats 1,000. Um, they, uh, they, they crammed in there. The people surrounded it, threw bombs in, uh, broke, the, broke the door open, and slaughtered all of them, men, women, and children, pregnant women. It was, um, it was quite an experience getting a tour from a, a Tootsie whose own parents had been, uh, had been slaughtered. Um, they were, um, you know, it's a picture of the, the, the evil heart that's there where you, um, within humanity. We might be uh, tempted to say, well, this is sort of a backward people but of course, we saw the uh, the Nazi regime do uh, do similar things. Um, and this was a display within the same within the same Catholic uh, church, former Catholic church. This, by the way, is what you're looking at is the clothing of the deceased victims, which they just piled on the um, on the pews and left as their display in memory of of those people. Obviously, it's not an operating church now. This is one of our students who came and did some of the teaching on law. She had helped to prepare the manual. 
This is the Evangelical Restoration Church, which is one of the largest uh, churches. Um, it seats a thousand. They have uh, three services, French, English, and Kenyan Rwandan. Um, they are building or hope to build a 20,000 seat uh, um, auditorium and they want to build a high school and here's their picture of their high school which I thought was interesting. <laughs> my, my figure is they're modeling it after Oaks Christian. <laughs> there you go. Is that the principal's car in the front? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And, they, and they've also got uh, Mazungus over here on the right. Mazungus is the label for white people, which is not a derogatory term, but it's actually, uh, we're actually named after little animals that scamper about because we show up on time and expect other people to show up on time and we're always so busy. And they typically show up about an hour or two hours late in, in Africa. And this is the pastor of that church. She is, she's the wife of actually the, the bishop or the head of that denomination. And uh, there's, a, there's an emphasis, um, some say, on a, on a wealth gospel in Africa. It's something that troubles some people. You can see the verse that they've got up there in all three languages. You will be successful in everything you do if you meditate day and night on the word of God. Um, Psalms 1, it's also in Joshua 1. And here I am talking through my translator. I always started off, I, I spoke typically in the afternoon and the translators had been going all day. And I would start off by saying, I'd like to thank our translator. He would translate to the auditory, to the, uh, the crowd. And then I would say, he's very articulate. And he would sort of look at me and kind of smile embarrassedly and everybody would wonder what, what's he getting ready to say. And he'd translate and they'd snicker a little bit. And then I'd say, he's very intelligent. And he would translate, he would be embarrassed. He would then translate, they would, they would get a good laugh. And then I would say, he's very good looking too. <laughs> and so here's a, Here's the translator looking a little sheepish <laughs> as he translates what I just said. And then we would break down into smaller groups uh, and typically get one of the English pastors to translate so we'd get feedback about their reaction to what we were having to say and whether it would... Uh, um, you know what what their challenges to it uh, to it might be. Um, it was very interesting in in these sessions. What came out is that at the source of both problems, or one of one of the sources of both problems, both domestic violence and um, property grabbing, is the dowry. Um, the dowry is a tribal practice. I mean, it's a traditional practice within, within the country. And men, in order to have a for, formal marriage, uh, are expected to pay a dowry. And the dowry amounts to between 6000 and 20000 American dollars, mm -hmm. which is unbe an unbelievable amount of money in that, uh, that culture. And so um, a lot of people then wind up just 
living together because they can't afford the dowry. Other men work until they're in their 30s to try and save enough money for a dowry. And uh, um, a lot of people live together. Then the wife doesn't have the legal rights of marriage. And so she has no rights if her husband does die. Um, she can be pushed off of the property by the husband's uh, family. Um, so a large part of what we were doing was trying to encourage people to have their congregations get uh, get formally marriage. It's just, there's a pretty strong practice there of informal marriage, and people are referred to as husband and wife, and will even go through a ceremony without it being um, being a legal marriage. In the uh, in the country, both. Both sets of parents have to approve of the marriage in order for it to be a, a legal one under law. They both have to sign, and so that gives the wife's parents uh, strength to enforce the dowry, the dowry requirement. Um, on the, the the other side, on the uh, the domestic violence side, the problem is that husbands, when they've paid that kind of money, feel like they own their wives and um, feel like they're entitled to their, their, their services when, whenever they, uh, they, they want. So, so part of what we did was to question the dowry. And some of the strongest Christians in the group you know, were conservative and believed in the dowry. It was a way of showing respect to the uh, parents of the, of the uh, wife for um, having raised the um, raised her in such a manner it was a way of, of honoring her by paying a, a large dowry and then I can remember one uh, in one of these small groups I was actually in there with that woman pastor Pastor Lydia that uh, that you saw of the large church and she was just charming as could be spoke very good English she was our translator and uh, so after I'd made my pitch about the about the dowry and its and its problems and you know and she says well do, do they have a dowry in the United States and I said well I've never heard of anyone paying a dowry she goes hmm she says tell me this what's the what's the divorce rate in the United States <laughs> and I sheepishly acknowledged that it was about 50 percent five percent in in Rwanda and I said maybe you should get a small group of people from your church to come over to the United States and teach our pastors about uh, about marriage and that got a little that got a nice laugh out of the whole out of the whole group there's my niece <laughs> um, these are the two students that were with us this was uh, this is the Minister of Justice of the of the country, uh, the equivalent of the Attorney General. We had students that have worked for him and for uh, justices in the courts in uh, Rwanda, and so I'd had two students to work for him in the prior summer. Um, I had one that was coming to work for him this summer who wasn't in town at that point. So I dropped by for a five just to kind of have a courtesy call. I, I had not made an appointment, but I just wanted to go by and, um, and say hello while I was in town. And so he met me at the, at the door and he said, 
he said, oh, Bob Cochran from Pepperdine, I want to talk to you, but I, but I can't talk here now. I'm on the way to, a, um, to, to speak, um, but you can ride with me and we can talk. Um, and he had his guards around him, so when he says, get in the car, you get in the car. <laughs> so we went to his car, and when we got to his car, he said, he said, I don't trust my driver to drive fast, so I drive. <laughs> so I got in the front seat with him, he got behind the car, and he drove really fast and passed on blind curves, would pass in the middle of a two-lane road, in between cars on both, both sides. <laughs> and we, uh, we talked about law on the way up, including the dowry and that sort of thing. It wasn't until we got in the car that I learned that, we, that it was a two-hour drive up, and of course two hours back. Normally it would probably be a three-hour drive up, but not his driving. And as we were going, we, we, we were talking, and I said, well, you know, where, where are you giving the speech? And he said, well, I'm giving a speech to a group that, um, of trainers of Abunzi. Well, the Abunzi are the local judges in Rwanda that are just lay judges that are elected by the population. And I knew that the training of the Abunzi, that that very week was being done by a Pepperdine slash Saddleback group in the northern part of the country and my good friend Peter Robinson on my faculty was heading that uh, that uh, that group and um, so when I walked in with the Attorney General of the country <laughs> my, my friend Peter was looking back and forth and wondering what, uh, what in the world's going on here. Well when we, um, on the way back, I asked one question of the justice. I said, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. And he talked for two hours solid. <laughs> and it was two of the most interesting hours I've ever spent. Um, he was exactly my age, born in 51. He was, had been married the same number of years that I'd been married. His father was a pastor, like mine was. He described his father as, ha as being one of the early, very strong Christians, which is, I learned later, a phrase that you know, has meaning in itself. It's people that were converted in the revival in the mid-30s in that country. And, and it was interesting because that was about the same time my father was converted <laughs> and became a really strong Christian after having walked the aisle at a... And, um, in a tent revival. Um, but that was sort of where the parallels ended. In the 1959 uh, genocide, he and his family left the country and went to Uganda. And he said that he was raised in a... Uh, um, in a... Um, um, refugee. Thank you. Refugee camp. Um, <laughs> And that he and, and in the refugee schools, and in the refugee schools, they did not have any paper for the kids to use, but they did have plenty of ink pens. And the children would take their notes on their legs, and they would actually take their tests on their legs, 
they would write out their answers and the teacher would come by with a red pen and correct their tests <laughs> on their legs. And he said that then they would take dirt and they would rub really hard to rub the, uh, the ink off of their legs. And at the very beginning, of course, it was extremely painful. But then within a short time, their legs developed very thick skin and it was just like erasing a blackboard. They would go back for their next session. Well, he, um, he, was, he did very well in school. He said that he looks... Um, Ugandan, and he, to me, he looks a little bit like Idi Amin. But he, uh, so I was a little nervous around him. But anyway, he, he, um, he, lo he looks very different from most of the, uh, the Tutsis, which was the group that was slaughtered. Um, but he said that he uh, adopted a Ugandan name, passed himself off as Ugandan, was able to go through Ugandan universities, um, including law training, and then got a job as a, uh, as a prosecutor. And he, he snickered and sa said, if those Ugandans had known they had a Rwandan prosecuting them, they would have thrown a fit. Um, but he had, you know, just a, you know, the, the rest of his life is incredibly in interesting as, uh, as well. He came back to Rwanda after the 94 genocide to help the country get, uh, get reestablished. And here he's being interviewed by a member of the press that, uh, that was there. And that's, this is sort of my picture of him. He's always on the go. We hopped back in the car. He drove like a bat out of hell to, uh, to get, to go to a, um, a reception at, um, um, where he was to speak as well at the U.S. Ambassador's residence. Um, this is a, a lawyer that uh, that met with our group, and actually a law professor there. And he had a, he and I had a wonderful time chatting at one of the churches where where we spoke. An interesting picture here. Um, this is um, from Uganda. Uh, from excuse me, from Rwanda's. Um, National Genocide Museum. There weren't any, we weren't allowed to take pictures inside, but there are half a million people that are buried there at the at the Genocide Museum, and they have gardens around around it, and they have a garden that pictures the Hutus and Tutsis in sort of a Garden of Eden type setting. You know, very happy. Then the the white people come and they 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 generate. Um, you know dissension uh, between the between the tribes, and then they had a garden that somehow represented the genocide. And this garden was to represent the future of Rwanda. And this is a statue of an elephant. An elephant uh, represents uh, wisdom, and to show that this elephant represents the future of the country, he's talking on a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, just, and in that country, everyone has a cell phone. I mean, the poorest of the poor have cell phone, have cell phones. I mean, that's that's the way people communicate, and they're also just very inexpensive. This was Presbyterian Church where we where we talked. There I am with the Pepperdine students, husband and wife. By the way, <laughs> wasn't a romantic. Uh, interlude trip with them and then throughout here from place to place I'll just show you pictures of the 
of the countryside. This is a Boda Boda. There are two types of Boda Bodas. This one's a motorized. They also have bicycle Boda Bodas. Boda Boda means border to border. And they're taxis. And you'll see the, the bicycle taxis have little seats on the back. And you'll see very large women all dressed up, seated on the back of little Boda Boda bicycles with little guys just pedaling as hard as they, hard as they can. And these Boda Bodas really zip in and out of ev everywhere. It's extremely dangerous. I rode three of them. It was great fun. <laughs> don't know that I'll do it again. I certainly wouldn't advise my children to ride one. Uh, the Parliament building, it uh, shows on the side scars from the, uh, the genocide, um, from the revolution that, uh, that followed the genocide. The person who's now president, President Kagame, is an authoritarian leader, but a, um, but a in some ways kind of a benevolent dictator. He, he does not allow corruption. It's quite interesting. Rwanda is very different from Uganda in that respect. Rwanda, there's no corruption. Uganda is sort of overwhelmed with, uh, with corruption. Um, that's not one of the problems that Rwanda faces. Um, they're to have an election in the fall, but it's kind of questionable whether it will be in any way a fair election. Everybody knows that President Kagame's going to win win the election. Um, a boda boda. You can see the boda bodas have two two helmets. It's kind of a question whether it's more dangerous to put one of those helmets on or to ride without a helmet. <laughs> I did not wear a helmet. Um, a picture of, um, uh, I'm here of uh, a couple of women. I mean, this is, a, again, I mean, the, you're just struck by the brilliance of the, uh, of the dresses that, uh, that are worn, even by folks that, uh, that appear to be relatively poor. Um, and I never saw any that were faded. Um, and I asked someone about that, and they said, well, they're always washed in cold water because that's really all they have is cold, wa cold water. And that, so they don't fade. They wear out before they fade. Um, and I'll just use this picture to, uh, to illustrate the, um, um, you know, our, or, you know to, to kick off uh, the, the, the teaching about land, land grabbing. Um, as I mentioned, um, what happens is husbands um, die. When husbands die, the family feels like they own the property and uh, they push the, uh, the wife off. Typically that takes place um, in a family meeting, which is right after the funeral and, and a funeral kind of reception in one of the large family homes. And so what we strongly encouraged the pastors to do was to not only teach against this custom, but when the funeral's over and the reception's going on, to hang around for the family meeting and to make sure that uh, the, uh, the widows are uh, treated, treated fairly. And uh, you heard me earlier reading from some of the scriptural passages that, uh, that we use. Um, we also, um, as, I, as I mentioned, discuss the law. In order to have um, real rights, the, uh, the wife 
um, it must be a legal legal marriage, a re registered marriage, and so we've encouraged that to take take place. Um, there's been some churches that um, have then had large mass weddings where many within their congregation would not have legal marriages, but they would have the registrar come to the church and they would have a group marriage and 300 people would uh, get married, um, confirming their marriages and then, uh, then register them in order to give, give the widow um, rights um, should, should the husbands die. And then interspersed here, just some pictures of the gorgeous uh, country, countryside. And it looks this way just everywhere you look. I, I didn't cherry pick these. Um, and they were, the kids were great, you know, the kids loved to have their pictures made. Um, Janelle uh, took a lot of she took a lot of these pictures, and she, but when she would take pictures of the children, they all wanted to see see what they look like. In camera, this is Lake Kivu, which is one of the um, one of the areas we where we stayed. Um, it just happened to be near one of the churches where we would go in and teach. So we had a couple of nights here, which was relaxing, as you might imagine after. 72-hour plane flight and then trying to jump right in, not having our period to get used to the time zone, and then had this. That's pretty lovely. Yeah, there's a, there's a Lakers fan, happy Lakers fan. <laughs> it's hard to get a word about how the Lakers games were going at the time. <laughs> Most of what I heard was good. This is the head of the... Um, Justice Task Force at uh, Saddleback Church. More Lake Kivu. The uh, roadsides of Rwanda are always busy. When I rode with the Justice Minister, we rode back at night and it was dark and they were still busy. Everybody walking and I'm just thinking, where are all these people going and what are they doing? And I realized that they're always carrying either fuel, food, or um, well, f fuel and fuel and food, you know, and water. Uh, they're, you know, it's just sort of the basics of uh, of survival. Took very few. Uh, <laughs> most of them were taken by the uh, by the students that we, that we took. But it's um, it's just a gorgeous country, and the terrain then generates lakes like this, you know, with sort of islands that are the tops of what would otherwise be hills. Is it an uh, equatorial climate? Oh. Yeah, yeah. It didn't rain very much when uh, when we were there, but it. Um, they obviously you know, do do get a lot of rain. I mean, they was one of the things that they uh, they they said they they got a lot of. And the kids just love when they see white people. We're sort of un unusual, the Mazungus and 
but it's a very happy it's a very happy gentle the gentle people the uh, the the grown ups as as well i mean to envision this country uh you know people engaged in a in a genocide is just you know really hard hard to imagine um the the you know what I've heard is that they're very compliant people. When they were told to uh, start the genocide, they started the genocide. Kagame's forces came in, said, "Stop the genocide! The genocide! The genocide stopped." Mm -hmm. Note the bow tie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is a minister's wife at one of the churches. And sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, could could be wife. That was a daughter. Um, the uh, the ministers would always begin each one of the sessions with singing. And most of the songs I didn't recognize, and they were sung in in Kenyan Rwandan, so I didn't know what the uh, what the words were um, as well. But there were two songs that uh, that this group, which was in one of the more rural churches where we taught, um, sang, and they were "O oh, Love of God" and um, "Nothing But the Blood." Oh wow! And they uh, they sang them loud and boisterously in Kenyan Rwandan, and the tune sort of varied a little bit, but was basically the tunes that I was raised uh, singing those songs to um, when when I was a when I was a kid. Jim, when do you think the last time we sang "Nothing But the Blood" or "Oh Love of God" here was? It would be be a while, but. It brought me to tears, <laughs> even thinking about it, bringing me to tears. Um, but I joined in and I started, I just sang, sang boisterously in English and they seemed to enjoy that. <laughs> he was the pastor that was the head of that region. That little girl's quite the ham, isn't she? She's in a lot of these pictures. She is. She she kind of followed the camera around. <laughs> and there she's fall the same girl. She fell asleep on Janelle's lap and these are just some local people that were walking by the church. It's amazing how they carry their babies. Their babies while balancing. Balancing that, yeah. Yeah, and the babies just seem to be strapped on by a single piece of cloth I'm wrapped just around. The front, just the back. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, the guy um, 
that's with us. He was actually the head of our, of the, the, the overall head of the mission. He's a uh, retired Los Angeles uh, police officer and detective, and he probably weighs 300 pounds. And as you've seen, there's, there's not a single fat person in the whole country that's, uh, that's Rwandan. I mean, they, they eat actually pretty bland, bland food, but they also walk everywhere. And so he's, he's, ado he's been given and uh, has adopted the name the Big Mazungu. <laughs> Everybody knows him as the Big Mazungu, and um, he also, in addition to being a you know expert marksman and trainer of officers and now guard for celebrities, uh, is very good with uh, balloons <laughs> and the kids. And you can you know the kids just had a blast with him uh, creating hats hats for them out of uh, balloons. Uh, he packed balloons with them to bring. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, you you want to take gifts over there so you can give them uh, give them gifts, and uh, so the balloons were something that's light that you can pack. Um, we took I took a huge suitcase full of deflated uh, soccer balls used soccer balls and soccer jerseys and we took seeds you know from uh, from the United States to give here's just a picture of us at our at our lunchtime going through and getting um, they have various vegetables. One is a really bland tasting something that looks kind of like a banana. They also have these little short bananas that are incredibly sweet. And then you always have the option of either chicken or meat. <laughs> you, you didn't ask. <laughs> and then... And then the water over there, you have to be very careful not to uh, to get any water, and so they'll serve bottled sodas right there. And I made the mistake of drinking it from the bottle. I wound up with a little dysentery. But uh, you you drink from the bottle with the straws. What's uh, what's you saw me earlier drinking from the bottle with a straw. Just some of the teaching that's going on. This was uh, one of the hotels where, where we stayed. I think we're still in Lake Kivu. So does that hotel cater to uh, affluent Rwandans or Westerners? Or? It seemed to be, I think we were the only ones there at the time. My guess would be it's uh, Western, Westerners, but, but I don't know, I can't, I can't really say because we were, we were the only ones at the, uh, the hotel at the time. Probably, well, we'll but, <coughs> but you can't swim in that lake, right? There were some that did. Um, and they were they were told it's okay, but they got contrary advice from other others, and <laughs> I didn't I didn't join them. Here's was my translator, and he was also my roommate during uh, during the time there, and we've, we've remained friends and exchange emails. He was very interested in the book that I was reading, which was about justice from a Christian perspective, and so he got a. So I sent him a copy of, of it. Um, he's a pastor, but he's very interested in reconciliation of um, 
you know, of the, of the various tribes there. The country has basically just kind of a, put a lid on discussion of conflict between the tribes. And the official position is that there is no um, conflict anymore. Um, but, you know, once they start having... Um, once they start having elections, you know, people people say, um, you know, there's no doubt that a Hutu would get elected. Um, they're 90 percent of the population. Uh, the current presidents, Tutsi, Kagame, and um, um, but they they think if there were a fair election, just based on tribal loyalties, that uh, that he would lose. So there's there's underlying tension. Though Kagame has brought the country back um, from where it had been, and so people on on both sides, many people on both sides do do admire him for what he's done under a, you know just an awful set of circumstances that existed when when he took power. For those of you that watched uh, the movie Hotel Rwanda, it was his forces that were, were coming in and they needed to escape to get to his forces in order to be preserved from, uh, from slaughter in that movie. We actually stayed in a hotel just below Hotel Rwanda and I went up and swam in ho at, at Hotel Rwanda. That's not the actual name of it, but um, it's what it's known as now in some ways because of the, the genocide, or because of that movie. It's this very typical picture of a bus, and there might be, you know, 30 or 40 people crammed into a little bus, and they're just as tight as, as sardines in there on a commercial bus that's uh, going around. And this very typical, you know, huge, huge loads of uh, bananas being carried on their uh, on their heads. Uh, the um, the country has not had a police force for um, except for the last ten years, and so these are uh, these are actually two firemen and then the big Mzungu. <laughs> Um, who were there, and he's known even among the police in the country of, uh, as the big Mzungu, and they, they go, and he's doing training of, uh, of police, and they had a nice ceremony for, for them. There in the middle is a, a fellow named Dieter. He's South African. He's the head of the International Justice Mission, which is a, an evangelical group that uh, has offices all around the world that uh, are lawyers that deal with issues of this sort um, of, of the sort that we were we were dealing with there they helped us with the development of some of our materials and we've worked closely with them the the African so to say African American the African lawyer that I was seated with uh, who's now a professor used to be one of their their lawyers uh, there in in Rwanda. This is an interesting story. We were our our bus got um, ahead of the other one, and so we had to stop and wait. And so we stopped at this parking lot in front of a gas station, and 
uh, sort of developed a crowd, you know, a busload of Mazungus. And um, there you see, you know, a lot of people that are wearing what is obviously clothing that's, uh, that's been passed to them from the United States. And uh, this guy's jersey I recognize as being a Washington Redskins jersey. I'm a big Washington Redskins fan, so I went over and took his picture and then gave him the equivalent of about 10 or 15 cents. Well, he became very animated and he didn't speak he didn't speak english but i i said redskins he did, obviously didn't know what i was uh, what i was talking about when i uh, when i when i pointed to his jersey um and he uh, and I, and and I started uh, singing uh, "Hail to the Redskins," <laughs> which is the Redskins kind of fight fight song, and he just jumps in and starts singing out syllables. With me. <laughs> so we had a we had a great time together. And there we are singing. <laughs> Right song? Oh, no. <laughs> he doesn't even speak English, much less know what the Redskins are. <laughs> so we're number one here. <laughs> and they're Champ Bailey. It was a Champ Bailey jersey. Now, now plays for Denver, but uh, anyway. <laughs> If you hang around at the end, I've got, actually got the video of me singing with him on the other computer. We were trying to get it up. Wow, look at that. That's, That's quite a balance act. And this, I don't, I don't have many pictures of this, but this is what you, what you see. I, mean, I guess you see, pe when I said people hauling fuel, this is what I'm talking about. They're hauling wood, I guess, to, uh, to, to burn, to cook things, uh, things on. And you see, once again, I mean, just a gorgeous skirt. Uh, really vibrant, pretty colors uh, for very menial labor. Water to drink, I guess. We have a group, you know, the students that were with me, they're also working with um, orphanages and trying to uh, organize, um, trying to um, alter the, the laws in ways that would make. Um, make it easier to um, adopt, do international adoptions for the sake of, uh, of some, some orphans. These went and I'm not sure exactly what the group was doing with this school, but obviously this is a school of fairly wealthy Rwandan children. But um, just special pictures, you can see the sincerity on their faces. Is Carolyn Brookman here? She wants to teach him some uh, Awana verses. <laughs> Here's one of our firemen. This was a uh, a well um, where they're uh, pumping pumping water and. 
large part of the daily job is carrying carrying food back and forth or carrying water back and forth as well this is a pump that you um, those of you that contribute to um, world vision um, will occasionally get get ads where you can buy a pump for a third world country for you know a, a relatively modest amount of money and they'll show you the p pictures of the pump and how it works and this is the that style pump whether this is a world vision pump or not I don't know they play soccer everybody was into uh, World Cup soccer and I'd always ask the drivers uh, you know who they were pulling for and say I got Two for the U.S., two for Brazil, and then there are a couple for the um, African teams. Um, these are convicted genocide um, people. The uh, the genocide um, the genocide um, um, perpetrators were tried in local courts that were created. The government gave the uh, courts, depending on what they were found guilty of, four different options. It was only the the ringleaders at the top that were given the uh, death penalty. The next um, highest penalty was 15 years. And, and the lights lights on. Um, so you can as you can imagine, it was a an incredible experience to go there and to be uh, to be a part of both ministry. I don't. I'm I'm confident I learned a lot more and was affected a lot more than uh, than anybody that came to our to our sessions. And I've spent the last uh, um, several weeks, you know, debriefing all of the different uh, subjects that are raised by what what you've seen. Um, the uh, um, the, the fallen nature of, of humanity and you know the fact that uh, that humans could be so harsh to uh, to one another um, the wealth that we enjoy in the United States and um, you know take take for granted and the way we waste uh, waste so much when so many people um, have so so little around the world uh, the um, the fact that uh, our government, which we like to criticize and do criticize, and I would criticize about about many things, but uh, the many aspects of it that we just take for granted, and um, the uh, you know the kind of safety and security that uh, that that we enjoy. Um, I didn't. I didn't show you pictures. I didn't really have many pictures of Uganda. But my second uh, stop was a week in Uganda, where I uh, spent um, the the week with our students who are working for for judges there. Um, in Uganda, there's just incredible corruption. Most of the corruption is on the executive side rather than the than the judicial side of the uh, of the government. But uh, it's very typical to be asked for money for just about any kinds of uh, kinds of service. I spoke at uh, Uganda Christian University there to the, to the law school 
um, and also to the law school's IJM chapter. And the question they would ask would be, can you be a Christian and a lawyer? Well, it's a, it's a question that I get a lot here. But they have very different challenges there because a lot, a lot of what lawyers do there is um, pass bribes from clients to, to others. And they were shocked when I told them that in the five years that I practiced law, I'd never been asked for a bribe by a police officer, a court clerk, or a, or a judge. Um, the head of IJM in Uganda told me five times just in the past count, you know, in the first five months of the year, he'd been asked for bribes of one sort or, or another. Um, so, and, you know, with the, when I met with IJM, they had a local lawyer who, um, who said the prayer, and his prayer was, was basically one of looking forward to God's return because we're in a, such a corrupt world. Um, and uh, it, was, um, it was sad. Now, what I told them all was that in addition to hearing about all the corruption in Uganda, um, the other thing that I hear and saw evidence of is incredible revival that's sweeping the, uh, the, the country. Um, and indeed, um, large parts of, of, of Africa, um, to the great surprise of a lot of people who thought when the colonialists got out, Christianity would, uh, would d die down. And so, um, so I, you know, I told them, it seemed to me that, you know, you, students at uh, Uganda Christian University Law School, and it's just a, you know, thriving, growing law school, you know, are the hope for changing this. And I said, um, you know, become lawyers, you know, wrestle with, uh, with the system, you know, um, and you're the ones that can change it. And the... Um, it was interesting, the timing of it all, at just the time that I was in Rwanda, my first stay, there were five judges from Uganda who were at Pepperdine learning about, um, about plea bargaining. They don't have plea bargaining there, and people just sit in jail for years and years and years with no, with no hearing. And so we had suggested, well, maybe you should... Actually, our students who had been working for the judges said, well, why don't they work out pleas? What? You know, <laughs> and sort of, you know, well, what's this plea bargaining? Where can we go learn about this? And so they said, well, you can learn about it at Pepperdine. So we quickly put together a, a program. So they were there, and then when I, they had returned just about the time that I had, so I met with the head of the criminal court in his office, and again went by for what was to be just sort of a five-minute courtesy call, thank him for, uh, you know, uh, having our, our students and, you know, help to build that, that relationship. Well, we spent 45 minutes together, and he very quickly started sharing from his heart about how um, difficult the situation is there in trying to institute um, justice, even as the head of the criminal court in the in the country. He pulled out. Um, Opinions that he'd written, where he just lambastes the uh, the prosecutor because the prosecutor had obviously just dropped the ball, you know, and 
I think implicit in that was he dropped the ball because maybe he had himself been been paid. Um, and the justice started tearing up. And, you know, how can, how can this be changed? So I mentioned to him the... Um, the uh, um, you know, what I told the students about the revival and how maybe these Christians that, uh, you know, were sweeping the, sweeping the country could, cha could change the system. And he's, he, he himself is a Christian, a member of the Uganda, the Church of Uganda, which is the Anglican church there, which is a very evangelical church. Um, he said, ah, yes, the born-agains. That's the, the label they use for for them. The born agains, he says. He says the problem is that not many born agains become become either lawyers or police officers. Uh, but hopefully that will change. So anyway, that's my that's what I did with my summer vacation. <laughs> Maybe we'll take a few questions. Is it Maggie? So how did the Tutsis then become targeted um, by the Hutus? Well, at least the story that's told is that they were played, the, the two tribes were played off against one another by both the French and the Belgians who had, um, who were the, the colonialists there, that they had raised the, initially they raised the Tutsis up and made them the leaders and sort of the overlords of the, um, of the Hutus. And that great hatred then developed and the, the Tutsis became the educated class, the ones that spoke French, the, you know, the, the more wealthy class. And that, you know, occasionally then when the, when the, Hutus would uh, would would in initiate opposition to the the French and the colonials. Then they would prefer the uh, the Hutus, and uh, and so the you know that that at least I mean I, you know I suspect there was racial tension um, prior to that, um, but uh, but it was at least exacerbated by the Westerners that uh, that that were there. Was it another hand? Yeah, Fred. Show anything about like sanitary facilities and how do foreigners or oh that? yeah, well we d you didn't want to see them. <laughs> um, you know the uh, some of the churches just have open pit toilets that you you know go on a path to around behind the um, you know behind the the, the church. Um, you know, as far as drinking water, you know, it was always bottled water. You, um, I mean, it's hard to get into the pattern of, you know, usually thinking of water as a cleansing agent and washing your hands with, uh, with water and brushing your teeth and rinsing your mouth out with, uh, with, with water. Well, there you have to do everything with bottled water. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, 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 there's a, I guess one, you know, there, I, my guess would be that Saddleback has sent over uh, people from their congregation that are, 
involved in, you know, maybe engineers and others. You know, you saw you saw the the wells that uh, that that were set up. I guess one thing to think about coming out of it is, uh, you know, what's your profession? You know, does your profession have something that could be offered to uh, to people over there? Um, I think most lawyers have never thought about the the idea that you know you could be of help to a, to another country, but uh, you know we were there with policemen and firemen and counselors and uh, and uh, and others, and you know they have it's just it's a very needy country. Well, then the water that the kids were pumping out of that well and carrying home in the yellow canisters. That would be the water that they would use, and I guess they would, you know, be sick occasionally, develop immunities, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, there's not, they're not all drinking bottled water. With the land grabbing, um, obviously it's a huge problem, but what percentage would you say of the time does that actually, does it occur mm -hmm. um, when these husbands die? Yeah, we didn't we didn't get a good feel for that, but it happens enough that they didn't say, well, you know, this isn't a problem in my village. We never got, you know, that sort of a response from uh, from people, and it's it's enough of a problem that, for example, in we were we were doing that in Rwanda. It's a, it's a problem in Uganda as well, um, and in Uganda. The whole focus of the International Justice Mission Office, which includes probably seven or eight lawyers, most of them local lawyers, their whole focus is combating land grabbing in just one one region of the of the country. How, how did this trip impact you personally, spiritually? Did you uh, come away with a different uh, way of thinking about things? Or? Well, I mean, I, I shared a little bit of that, you know, I mean, I think the, the sense of personal possessions, um, you know, I haven't worked, worked, you know, haven't figured out, figured out all of that, but you see people who are living and very happy in much simpler, simpler circumstances, it makes you grateful for what, uh, what you have. Um, you know, going through 72 hours of <laughs> of travel, sleep, sleep deprivation, and that and, and that sort of thing, all the all the time zone zone changes. You know, there were a lot of time. There was a lot of time when I was just sort of wide awake in a in a dark airplane, praying, and you know, it was a wondering whether we'd ever get there. <laughs> um, and just uh, just a, just an interesting sense of you know that God had sent us on a mission. I mean, we were reinforcing one another that God had sent us on a mission, and we saw many of the troubles that we faced as being um, you know generated by uh, the the devil who you know, did not like what what we were up to. I mean, just at every turn there was some problem that we were running to, and we. Fought our, fought our way through it. Carolyn? Bob, how, how many students from Africa, Uganda and Southern, you know, South Africa, how, how many students have you had a chance to interact with as long as you've been at Pepperdine? 
Oh, student, actual African, Africans, African students. I, I don't. I think there've only been just a very few. I mean, they can't. They're not really trained in a way that would make them eligible for the for the to jump to the law school. Now we do have some that are are at Pepperdine in the undergraduate school, but but very little interaction here. Because I could see where that would probably, as time go on, you know, you're putting seeds out there. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I'm sure they would, they would love, you know, a lot of people there would love to come and study in in the United yeah. States. Um, and we had just um, Pepperdine has started a um, a scholarship program. We have um, our first student coming from Uganda under under that program this um, this fall. Um, California Baptist has for a long time had a really good program of that sort and uh, they have an arrangement worked out with with Rwanda where uh, Ro Rwanda pays part of the tuition and Cal Baptist um, um, waives most the vast majority of the tuition and they have students that are there studying um, engineering and pre-med um, um, and uh, one of the one of the students that I pointed out was one of the engineering students that's uh, probably getting ready to come back to Cal Baptist now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but of course it's extremely expensive to study in the United States for um, for them. Pepperdine is. Can I read that some of the basketball players are are doing things in their you know. In cities over there. I think, you know, mm -hmm. we're getting, we get that kind of news. Yeah, and we've got some, some players who've, who've from Africa. Manute Bowl, who unfortunately just died, is from one of those, uh, those countries. And Pepperdine is uh, actually, our, our mutual friend Peter Robinson is yeah. in the middle of talking with Uganda Christian University about possibly establishing a joint program there that would focus on dispute resolution, which, um, which of course, is at the root of this. Uh, so what kind of media do they have there? Did you see a lot of uh, radio, TV, newspaper? Not a lot and not very much, but, uh, but some. I mean, they get a lot of European um, media that, that, that comes in. They get CNN. It was interesting that um, I thought some of the most objective and best reporting that I, that I saw, because of the time, as you can imagine, with the time zone, a lot of times I'm sleepy during the day over <laughs> there and wide awake at night, so I had time to sort of flip around among the, cha the channels. And um, a lot of the best um, reporting that I heard was on Al Jazeera, um, the, um, the Arab um, news news network and it's done in e in English. This is Al Jazeera, you know the en the English version of it. Now here they have other versions and other things said on the Ar Arabic <laughs> versions, but uh, but I thought that was interesting. I thought they were actually more objective than CNN, but maybe that's not saying very much. <laughs> um, but not but you know very little local media. And the local media really poor quality. <laughs> the local acting and you know video stuff. But uh, you know, unfortunately, um, I think a lot of 
the worst of Western influences um, in the in the media. I mean, a lot of you know, a lot of talks talk of you know getting uh, getting away from kind of sexual repression and things like that. Um, you know, big big focus on you know personal personal autonomy, choosing who you want your sexual partners to be, but safe sex, you know, I mean, some of that is, you, you, you see is, you know, over, over there. Um, so did you see American shows, like, I was just telling Mary that at one point Baywatch was the most uh, watched show around the world, like even in the rainforest. Yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that as well. I didn't see that, you know, there were a lot of old movies I didn't see old TV shows, you know. As I flipped around, I mean, I just did what was in the in the hotel where we where we stayed, um, but not much. And unfortunately, not Lakers games. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you. I hope you'll make Rwanda.